This is recording number 11011 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, September 30, 2012. This is the first message in a series titled, The Playlist. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, When Life Feels Threatening. I've asked you to turn to Acts chapter 4, and today we're going to begin a new study called The Playlist. And we're going to be looking at uh, places in in the New Testament where the Psalms, which are songs, uh, are quoted by people who are um, in need of the inspiration, the encouragement, the truth that's found in those songs. How many of you have a special playlist you turn to when, when times are tough? Yeah? Me too. Uh, I've got one I like for when I'm doing my power walking, right? It keeps me motivated. I have different playlists for different things. We're going to be looking specifically um, at the Psalms of David. Some of you would know that David was the greatest king of Israel and a a hero in a lot of different ways. Um, But one of the things that I don't think people are are often aware of is that he was also a rock star. (laughs) And I don't mean in the the genre of music that he performed, but I mean in the quality and caliber of his uh, notoriety and uh, the um, pervasive nature of the acceptance of his music. We are still today, this morning, we were singing, you may not have realized it, but we were singing songs that had embedded in them the Psalms of David, the songs of David. We are still singing his music and thank God for it. And so there's this whole book dedicated not just to the Psalms of David, although he was the primary author of most of them. The book of Psalms, kind of right in the middle of the Bible, has, there are songs from other authors there as well. But the Bible is not, is not only has this book full of songs, but from cover to cover there's music and poetry. Because God knows how much we need it. God knows He made us, and he knows how music has a way of getting in and around behind all of the other stuff, that all the confusion, all the challenges, all the desperations of our lives, and bringing hope, encouragement, and strength, and healing. So that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And today, I ask you to turn to Acts chapter 4, because we're going to encounter a psalm of David, a song of David embedded in this story Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. The backstory here is that Peter and John have gone, this is uh, within a short period of time after the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Peter and John, two of the apostles, have gone to the temple because they're having uh, meetings there daily. Uh, and they're t- preaching the good news about Jesus. So Peter and John are on their way to the temple and they come through an area called the gate called Beautiful. And there, a lot of invalid and um, uh, disabled people would beg for alms. And there was a guy there who had been unable to walk since birth, and he's over 40 years old. 
So his entire life, he's been begging there and sustaining his life that way. And so Peter and John come by, and this day, I don't, don't ask me why this day above all others. Don't, don't ask me why him and not all of the other people that were there. I don't have answers for the, that, those questions. But I know this, that the Lord drew their attention to this man, and they said to him, you know, we don't have any money to give you, but what we do have, we're going to give you right now. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the guy rose up and walked, and as you can imagine, that created quite a stir. And so this passage that we're reading today follows that because you see that the scribes, the Pharisees, the leaders of the, the, the Jewish religious movement in the temple uh, were not happy about the fact that the name of Jesus was being proclaimed. They thought they'd shut that up by putting him to death on the cross. So they're not happy about that and they're not happy about the indisputable evidence that the power of Jesus was at work in the world by a guy being uh, made whole who had been lame for 40 years. So... That's what this is about. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So this gospel is having potent impact regardless of the fact that the religious establishment is trying to shut down this movement. Verse 5, it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. They were calling in the big guns. These are the guys, same guys before whom Jesus was tried. These are guys, you know, we, we, um, we have... No way of really ident uh, identifying with this religious culture. But these guys had the power. They had their own uh, police force. They had the power to arrest you. They had the power to punish you severely. They had the power to make your life miserable in every way. Economically, emotionally, physically. The these were the church leaders. So these are the big guns. They're all there assembled to, to interrogate Peter and John. Verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power, by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by the way, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Now, I just, this is not really part of the message this morning, but I just love this verse. They know that these are just fishermen from the other side of the tracks in Galilee. And they are marveling at the eloquence, the boldness that they, uh, with which they are making their defense. And they only can come up with one reason for, their, for this being so. 
that they were with Jesus. The impact of Jesus on your life and mine, may it always be that transformative. Amen. Amen. Um, for, verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. I mean, what are they going to do? They, well, you've just been faking it for 40 years. <laughs> what, what are they going to say? They can't say anything. Verse 15, but when they had com uh, commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them now. Listen to that. They, this is all they've got is their threatening. But look, their threatening has teeth. They can make your life so miserable and they know it. And they come with all of that threatening power. And it says there that, uh, let's see, verse 17, but that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them, they commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, uh, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. Verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people. Not that they couldn't, but they, the people were so... Uh, blown away by what they'd seen that they, they would have been in severe trouble themselves had they um, engaged in punishing Peter and John. So they don't do that, but they further threaten them and they sent them away. Um, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Now, what do you do? When life seems threatening. I was just talking to someone just a minute ago. Just before I, I got up here to speak to you today. And life is very threatening for her right now. Financially, emotionally, relationally. You name it. Life has see, life seems threatened. The kind of life she imagined being living right now, that is being threatened in every way. I don't need to ask you to raise your hands to know that most of you can identify with that. Maybe not right now. Maybe now it doesn't feel that way, but you have in the past felt that. And I can almost guarantee you that again you will at some point. Where life feels threatening and yeah Peter and John are making a bold statement well you you know who are we going to listen to you or God you judge and, and they have been making this eloquent and powerful case for their their um, commitment to declare the gospel but they're just guys they're just people 
and when the most powerful people in the religious community of your nation tell you to shut up and not talk about Jesus anymore, or we're going to make your life miserable, that threat hung over them. It was not a small thing. And they're thinking about the ramifications of their family because they can be affected by this. They're thinking about the ramifications of, of the impact on this fledgling church that they find themselves leading. There's lots of stuff going through their mind. Let's watch what they do. Verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard, all of them, you know, their friends, when they heard that, they, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then they turn on the playlist. Who by the mouth of your servant David had said, have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? There's this question. This is a song now. We're, we're reading lyrics from one of David's songs. They've turned to the music of the scriptures. Just like I do when I'm feeling low. And I, you know, I don't know, turn on Chris Tomlin or somebody like that who I know is, is writing music based on the scriptures. And this question is in the song, why, why do the nations rage and the people plot, a vain thing, plot vain things? It's not talking about politics. It's not talking about world systems here. It's clear if you go back, and I would encourage you to do it, to read the second psalm, which is where this comes from, Psalm 2. It's talking about the, the, the system uh, that is controlled, the worldly system and all of its permutations that are, that's controlled by our adversary, the devil. He says, why are they so upset? Why are they coming after me? We just prayed for a guy who's been lame for 40 years and he's well and they're coming after me. Why? Why am I the target of this mess? Why do the nations rage and the people blot vain things? Well, the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They turned to this song because it reminded them, oh, this is not about me. This is about him. Now, bet he could take care of himself. That brings hope, right? When you feel like it's all pointed at you and how many of you have ever had that experience? Again, you don't have to raise your hand where it seems like all the missiles are pointed right at you. It's not about you. It's about him and what you represent for his kingdom. For truly against your holy servant Jesus. They're praying now. They're praying. For truly against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel are gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now Lord, look on their threats. And, and grant to your servants that with boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken. 
and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. I want to just rattle off four things that I see in this passage about how Peter and John and the, the rest of their team responded when life felt threatening. First of all, they didn't isolate. When life feels threatening, don't isolate. And that's always our tendency. Go off and hide somewhere. Don't do it. They came out of the presence of the, of, uh, the high priest and his cohort and the first thing they did is they went to their believing friends. I hope, I pray that you have a circle of believing friends that you can take refuge with when life feels threatening. That's one of the main reasons we have this ministry in this church called Microchurch. That there is a circle of people that you can run to and find that place of comfort, safety, and accountability when life seems threatening. That's what they did. When they got there with their friends, they unloaded, they unburdened their hearts, they told the story. We need to be able to take the cover off the junk that, that's being thrown at us at times like that when life seems threatening. We need to be able to take the cover off of it, bear it in front of other people, but not for the sake of commiserating. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm as good at this as anybody. When I, in fact, this morning, Arnie asked me about how things were going. I've got it, we've got a situation in our family. And by the way, it has seemed like, you know, talk about when life seems threatening since the first of this year, and I am not going to give you the long litany of stuff that we've been dealing with in our family, but it's been a lot. And there have been times when we have, Sue and I have just thought, holy smokes, can somebody give us a break here? But we, we are ultimately not the targets, okay? It's not about that. It's about what we, what we represent in the kingdom of God. And the Psalms remind us of that. The song of, of David Psalm 2 reminds us of that. Anyway, where was I? What was I saying? Oh, yeah. I, I'm as good at this as anybody. Somebody asked me before the service what was going on. I got to fly out after the service today to be with my father-in-law in, in Southern California. There's stuff going on there. And he was asking me about it. And I just went into commiserate mode. I started, so blah, 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 no, 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 no. And telling my long litany of, you know, whoa. We're good at that. But it really doesn't accomplish anything. That's not what we're talking about. We need to take the cover off it, make sure we don't isolate it, that we don't, or don't isolate, don't hide away with all of our pain, that we have some people that we can lay stuff before, but not just so we can cry on each other's shoulder. We are not a bunch of whining wimps. We are not. But when life feels threatening, don't isolate. Take advantage of the circle of fellowship that God has surrounded with you and then hold on to what you know is true. My daughter, I mean my son and daughter-in-law, two weeks ago, I got a call on Thursday. She was four and a half months pregnant and uh, was going to have a stillbirth. And I got on a plane, flew to Portland and was with them through that. A very for reasons that um, beyond you know what you would normally think in terms of how difficult that would be for a couple and many of you have been through similar things there were there were other other things in play that made it 
even more difficult for them and for us. But I was on my way there and on the plane and I was thinking, you know, God, right now there's not much I know. I don't understand this. I don't know why you've let this happen. I, I don't know. <sighs> but here's one thing I know. You are good. This doesn't feel good. It doesn't seem good. But I know you are good. I know that this child that never got to see, never got to see life outside the womb I know that that, that that child's life is as precious to you as any other. That, that I know. And I began to just recount these simple things that I knew. Because there's a lot of things I don't know. And when you're going through those times when life seems threatening, there's a lot of things we don't know, right? But just like Peter and John and his friends, we start to say the things, to remind ourselves of things we do know. It says that then, uh, let's see. Uh, verse 23, when they were let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had done with them. And then they raised their voice to God and they said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. I think that was the only thing that they knew at that point. I don't understand this. I don't know why they're breathing down our neck. I don't know why they're threatening to make life miserable. But we know this. We know you made everything that there is. Hold on to what you know is true. And then change the soundtrack. Because the enemy wants you to be listening to something else. And they plugged into Psalm 2. I can't tell you how many times when we've gone through difficult stuff in our lives, the first place I go is the book of Psalms. It's easy to find. And I think that's by design. And it's so awesome, uh, so honest, so raw. Somewhere in the Psalms, you can find another bleeding heart. <laughs> and at the end of that, uh, that bloodletting, there will be hope. Finally, move from defense to offense. When it seems like the arsenal of our adversary is pointed at you, his entire arsenal is pointed at you, and he's about to unleash Armageddon, it can kind of make you put back, feel like you're back on your heels. That you just have to sort of defend yourself and, and, and make sure it doesn't go too badly, you know? But that's not what they do. They plugged into Psalm 2 and, and realized, wait a minute, this is not about us. This is about him. I bet he could take care of himself. And they say, they say so Lord, we're not going to shut up. We're not going to go off and hide somewhere. Give us the boldness to proclaim your salvation in the name of Jesus. And that's the kind of prayer God wants to answer. You know, I, I went, I'm going to let you go in just a second. I, I attended a funeral one time. Actually, I was part of it. I was a pallbearer in a funeral for uh, a man who was the father of, of, of two great men of God, uh, Jack W. Hayford and Jim James Hayford. And these are guys who have been influential 
beyond anything I can imagine in terms of the advancement of the kingdom of God. He was a simple man. He was not, uh, not very eloquent, but he, was, uh, he had a deep faith in God that he made sure his sons got a hold of. And anyway, I was asked to be a pallbearer at his funeral. And uh, his oldest son rose to eulogize him. And while he was speaking about the impact of this one simple man's life on his own, the earth began to quake. I was sitting there and I'm serious, the earth began to quake. And I imagine something like that happens here. They pray this simple prayer, but the, the corner is turned. And they're no longer in defense mode, but in offense. And God says, yeah, that's my boys. Right? And I think the, there's some, some of us today, some of us right here, right now, that need to turn that corner. And I believe the Lord maybe won't send an earthquake. Maybe he will. But I know he wants to shake things up.